This week, we talk about an idea we have at Less Annoying CRM to do content marketing all focused around one really good piece of content rather than our normal strategy of putting out lots of little stuff. Before we dive in, though, I just want to mention that we've really enjoyed the listener questions we've had recently. Uh, If you want to ask a question or give feedback and ideas about something we've already discussed, just go to zipmessage.com slash Tyler. That's zipmessage.com slash Tyler and send us an audio file. All right, let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Well, it's a we're one week away from a special episode. You know what's coming up? Our special episode? The big number 100 is next week. <laughs> oh, our episode 100. Yeah. Our we're about to hit a, episode. our 100th episode. We're about to oh, hit a wow. big milestone. That is big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or or maybe, I don't know. Do you care about that type of thing? Are you like a, we hit a round number, let's celebrate type of person? I'm not a very good at celebrating and I'm trying to be better at that. So yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't, I should sh- celebrate. Sh- I guess that's like indicative of showing up consistently. And I think that is mm-hmm. worthy of celebration, but I don't, I usually worry. I, I don't really celebrate showing up. I, yeah, and I actually think for a podcast, showing up is almost the whole thing. But yeah, uh, that's true. That's for true. for other stuff, yeah, showing up every day if you don't have customers or whatever doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, and the podcast equivalent of that, I guess, is downloads or subscribers. So, yeah, I guess I find myself more focused on that. But yeah, th- yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool to think about. I mean, if you think there's 52 weeks in a year, that's almost two years of weekly podcasts with you know spending an hour with you every week, which is really yeah. actually cool. Yeah, it's it's neat that we stuck with it. Uh, I guess maybe this is a week premature, but uh, okay. So speaking of which, um, the podcast that is, we're going to start, I wanted to start with a kind of meta discussion here. Um, so for people listening, we are in the Indie Hackers podcast network. And primarily what that means is every once in a while, we have calls with Cortland from Indie Hackers and just like talk about ideas or whatever for how to improve the podcast or grow or whatever. And one of the opportunities here is to like go on his podcast, on Cortland's podcast, and like talk about a topic and stuff. He suggested we find like basically if we come up with a theme, something we have talked about a lot here on this podcast that we feel like we could have good insights on, we should go on his podcast and talk about it. Did anything come to mind for you for like themes we've discussed lately? The last time I did this, it was like bundling and unbundling, which at the time was top of mind for me. Any anything else come to mind? I struggle with this. Um particularly because I have I've had trouble connecting with the indie hacker crowd, uh, primarily because I've come from more of an executive background and the sort of uncertainty around the starting part. I just don't find, I don't have a lot to discuss. I don't know what I maybe know in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I've had, I don't know what good topics are for the indie hacker listener, if that makes sense. I think any content for like entrepreneurship in general, there's like a thousand times more people who are who want to start a business than people who actually are running a business. So I think you do a lot better making content for the aspiring entrepreneur rather than like, honestly, most of what we talk about on this podcast, I think is not what people want to hear because it's like, when you have a team of 15 people, how do you do one-on-ones, you know? (laughs) And my advice to an aspiring entrepreneur is, is like two words, just start. Yeah. That's hard to, I mean, you're right. And also that's not very helpful. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, I, I don't, I, if I had good ideas, I guess we wouldn't really need to ask 
for help on this. I'd be interested in what uh, people listening um, might say like are good topics. Um, and also you, I think you've you've been maybe more part of the aspiring entrepreneur crowd, more dialed in, I guess, um, mm-hmm. over the years than I have. So I'd be I'd be interested in your thoughts as well. So I only had one idea. I also, if anyone listening has like things we've talked about that you think would make for a good, because Cortland has like a hundred times, a thousand times more listeners than we do. So we want to make it good. Whereas here, we just don't give a shit at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- the one idea I had was we talked recently about like how I don't know how to do accounting and it's fine. And like, I, I honestly don't even know what's accounting and what's finance, but like the line's kind of blurry for me. But I was saying we got this big enterprise account. We like, I made a separate bank account that I put all their money in. And every month I'm just paying our real bank account out of the second bank account to manage cash flow. And you were like, that's totally, f-. I mean, that's not how you're supposed to do it, but it's fine. I would be interested in like a list of all the things that people think you need to be good at that just, I don't want to say they don't matter. Like for you, Rick, this matters, but like a lot of startups don't need to do all this stuff. Yeah. And that kind of goes in. I think you, in your previous newsletter, shared an article um, in your curated content section that talked about all the things that a lot of companies think they have to do, but mm-hmm. they really only do, uh, companies really only do to impress investors. And when you don't have investors to impress, you like can just pretty much knock those off your to-do list. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of things there. That, that's an interesting subject. Cool. Maybe we'll have to riff on that a little more. I, I don't have my thoughts put together. So yeah, that would take a little prep, but I guess that's that's what you do if you want to go on a big podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, if, if I would be interesting from us, if there are listeners that are aspiring entrepreneurs that listen to this show, um, what particularly what you think, like if you, what's, what are the topics that we've talked about that, um, that really triggered you um, in a good way and got you in, interested? I know one that comes to mind just thinking about it some more is the how to learn how to teach yourself to code. Mm, um, yeah. That's one. Uh, and then how to find a technical or bring on your first technical hire. Those two go hand in hand. And I, that for the people who I hear from the most that are in that aspiring entrepreneur group reference the, that those two episodes. Yeah, that's interesting. Probably the the group of non-technical people have a whole different set of challenges than the group of technical people. Uh, I do think indie hackers tends to be more tech people who are cl- the stuff you're maybe this is why you struggle to connect with them. The stuff you're good at is what they need help with. And I'm a little closer to the other side, but yeah, mm. that's interesting. Um, cool. Quick update on my newsletter, just because last week I asked you what you do with calls to act like when someone comes to a blog post, how do you get them to sign up for your newsletter? I just tweaked my convert kit setting and it seems to have doubled the conversion rate. I mean, sm- I've got low traffic, so it maybe not statistically significant, but the the rate of newsletter signups has definitely gone up noticeably. Wow. Like double? I, I actually think like if you look at the numbers, it's more than double. I'm kind of rounding down because we're talking about like it went from like one person a week to one person a day. Um, so still low numbers, but like more than doubled if you really look at them. Did you have a significant tra- traffic change or? About not really. No. Uh, what what was the tweak? So basically, I I think the problem before is it was just too annoying. Like it would, I had, I did the slide in thing and it would slide in over content. I didn't want it to. It's just convert kits slide in thing sucks. And people couldn't close it if they were on certain size screens. And it was just 
annoying. That's a bit hypocritical of less annoying business. Absolutely. And I, you know, I was keeping an eye on it, but uh, I switched it to if you scroll 85% of the way down the post, which basically means you make it right to the end, but not quite the end. It pops up a modal. Uh, it's It works better on different size screens and it doesn't like annoy you while you're reading the article as much. And yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty good. I just did it and it, do, it doesn't take up the whole screen either. So you can like click out of it really fast. Yeah. Yeah. The, the argument would normally be like the more kind of in your face you are, the higher your conversion rates would be. So it's like, how annoying do I want to be? But in this case, being less annoying actually increased conversion rates, which when you have situations like that, uh, it's just the best. Yep. It's a win-win. Uh, anyway, I've got other random stuff, but what's, what's going on with you? I, I guess the big news this week um, is that I lost another leg up health client uh, to a job, a new job with group health insurance. And uh, it's the only, so all churn at leg up health of cl- all client churn. So not user mm-hmm. churn, but client churn has been related to a job change that affected health insurance. Um, and it's, you know, unexpectedly, or I guess maybe it is expectedly, but it's validating my focus on leg up benefits because leg up benefits is the way to be sort of in the flow of the job change, um, by being at, uh, you know, at a company that hires people who, that does not offer group health insurance. And, and so that's making me feel good about my leg up benefits focus. Um, I'm also start, start starting to, it's, it's making me think how else can I get in the job flow, um, or the job change flow for people not the people that are going to jobs with group health insurance, but people that are going to jobs without group health insurance. Yeah. Or people, would you want to go after people leaving jobs with group, group health insurance or would they normally go on Cobra? So you don't care about them as much. I want to help them if they're the CAC, the customer acquisition cost for them is really low, but they have low lifetimes. Um, because oh, they're just going to go get another job right away. And yes, in fact, makes sense. a hundred percent of the churn are people who, found like up health when they were making a Cobra decision from leaving a job mm. and then th- their lifetime with us ends, uh, when they go get their new job. That's interesting. I mean, that's a great insight. I, I kind of think you hear a lot of people talk about churn cause it's, there's this like existential dread with churn. And I kind of think one of the, like, normally it's not good to lie to yourself with numbers, but reclassifying what churn is, I think can sometimes be helpful and just be like, that's not churn. Like they were never a long-term customer to begin with. You should almost count that as one-time revenue and then not be sad when it's gone. I feel like. I, I, you know what? I totally agree. The trick, the key, I think there's, there's definitely two things to take away. One is probably don't want to spend a ton of money marketing to people who are in transition from one employer that offers group health insurance to another employer that offers group health insurance. That's probably true. Do we want to help those people? Do we want to say no to those people? No. I think that there's a, there's a profitable business there. And I think there's a word of mouth opportunity there. And, and, you know, over the long term, I think that the company, fewer companies are going to offer group health insurance. So eventually those companies, those, those individuals could be more long-term clients. But it does call into question of like where to spend money. Like, and yeah. it's, if you look at the, in, like, what's the inverse of a client uh, getting a, a new job with group health insurance? Well, it's a non client getting a job without group health insurance. Yeah. And it's like, how do I, how do I position for that? And I think that's, 
and I don't know. And it, it's uh, leg up benefits is obvious. You know, it's mm-hmm. go find the companies that don't offer group health insurance, build partnership with them through leg up benefits, and then get the referral. But what you know, it's I guess it's it gets into industry focused marketing, um, and 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 trying to find people and, and build word of mouth in connected uh, groups of people uh, that work for on average are more likely to work for companies that don't offer group health insurance. Do you think there's an opportunity for something between uh, like the full on like leg up benefits versus leg up health, which is to say like, so I've worked with uh, a handful of franchise, like retail franchise businesses, like not McDonald's, but think McDonald's where they're just like their employee turnover is they're, they're turning over the whole staff all the time. And I don't think they get health insurance or if McDonald's is the, the one I'm talking about doesn't. I wonder if you could just partner with them and be like, okay, you're not a leg up benefits client, but every time someone starts, just give them this card. And I'll help them get health insurance. Yeah, totally. Um, I would put that in the category of leg up benefits, um, mm-hmm. but it's more like the free trial version, where, which is basically the free trial of leg up benefits is probably a co-marketing agreement effectively with the employer. And that employer could be of any size, um, could be an association even. Uh, yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily a trial though. Like that could be long-term, very sustainable. Freemium version, I should say, not free okay. trial. Um, gotcha. It's, that's a, I think that's the... That is the long-term freemium model. Now, to service, the problem with running into something like that is you have to have some pretty solid infrastructure built up to service it. Because if you go do a deal with like, uh, I've got a buddy in uh, North Carolina who owns a bunch of Greek restaurants. I've talked to him. He's got thousands of employees. Turning that on with him, you got to be able to handle a thousand potential requests and well, it, here's why yeah. I, I totally get that. But here's why I'm suggesting it's not full on leg up benefits because you don't have to sell top down this way. You could go to an individual franchise owner and they're responsible for their own recruiting and stuff like that and just do one location at a time or something. Yeah, basically, what you're saying is it could be a non-branded referral arrangement with the employee, with the franchisee. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's absolutely. I, I yes. Anyway, I, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> I a, totally agree. I realize yeah. that's a rabbit hole, but <laughs> yeah, and and it's but 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 you know you know that yes, I like just it. an idea. And a lot of uh, times, a lot of times, that's what what ends up happening. Um, what, like for example, I have a leg up health client who owns a restaurant. Um, he called me the other day, uh, uh, the other month, and said, "Hey, I'm hiring someone. Do you help people that I refer you?" I'm like, "Yeah, refer for him over." Yeah, um, it's not. It's probably less formal than what you're saying, but more. F- you know, more formal than what I do currently at Leg Up Health is what you're talking about. Yeah. I do want to b- back up to something you said earlier that I really liked, which is you kind of made the distinction between like, will we serve someone versus are we like actively trying to to go after them? This is an important distinction and it comes up all the time. It actually came up for me recently with recruiting where anyone who applies for a job, we obviously will consider, but like from a, we were looking at it from a diversity angle and I'm like, we should go be proactive to recruit certain types of people, certain groups of people more actively than others to get the top of funnel more diverse. So there's like, just because you are accepting an applicant doesn't mean you have to like spread your efforts to go, you know, in market in your case evenly. Yeah, totally. Um, And this is where like the ideal fill in the blank comes in. If you can get really clear on, if I can get really clear on who my ideal 
user or client is for Leg Up Health. I can focus my out my marketing spend on attracting those people, and then yeah, yeah there's going to be people who fall outside that bullseye. Um, that yeah, they're going to expect yeah. Leg Up Health to serve them. It's like okay, yeah, I'm going to serve you too. Is there ever a time though where you go, you're too far off, you're not even on the the dartboard, and <laughs> I don't, you know, no, I can't serve you because you're going to churn in a month. You hear a lot of people say that, uh, or like if you if you listen to other podcasts like this one, a lot of people kind of are gleeful about firing their customers. I personally prefer the approach of just putting like guardrails in to prevent you from wasting too much time with them to be like, you're welcome here. We we do this with larger enterprises all the time. They come in, they want all this enterprise bullshit we don't do. And we're like, we don't say, no, you can't be a customer. We say, here's what we'll do. If that works for you, great. We'd love to have you as a customer. And inevitably they're always like, no, that's not what we need. And we're like, well, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's harder on a consumer basis because the the especially with a business like this where the service um costs are so front loaded in a relationship yeah where like you get a you could have two people sign up i could have two users sign up today one is a contractor let's just say at mcdonald's who uh looking in the to the future will get fired in a month and then go on medicaid and the probability of that happening is is very high and then the other is a real estate agent who's been in the business for 10 years and will probably retire a real estate agent and buy their own health insurance for 20 years uh how do you treat those two people differently? Very, yeah, that's like, tough. It's hard. But I, the good news is I think in the short term, it's an easy answer, which is you care so much about word of mouth. It it almost doesn't matter. Like they're both just promoters for you. Maybe this matters down the line. And what I'm finding, but the, the other challenge like that with that is that people tend to refer people like them. So yeah. you, it's it's almost like investing in word of mouth <laughs> that brings you more non-ideal customers. Yeah, we get this with MLMs all the time where it's like, we, we love all our MLM customers, but they're not our ideal customers. <laughs> they like spread, you know, very organically. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I think if it's, I don't, we've probably talked about it enough, but uh, normally I think people are too eager to fire customers in my opinion. Yeah. And I guess there's a difference in my mind. And I, I wanted to say this, earlier when you mentioned fire customers, like, is there a difference between firing a customer and then saying, oh, we, we aren't for you. Like, we don't serve people like you. That sounds bad when I say oh, it like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, if you refuse them service, I think that's the same as firing them more or less. If you say, hey, my personal advice is this isn't like worth your time. We do this all the time at Lessening Serum. Someone wants email automation and we're just like, just don't use us and integrate with MailChimp. Just use MailChimp. Like, what are we doing here? I we do that all the time. For for me and my business, I I think that in order for my business to work and have a positive brand, you know, experience, um, word of mouth, I've got to build in the cost of a a losing like a, a non profitable yeah. customer. Not and every customer has it. to be profitable. Yeah. This is I realize we're beating this topic to death, but like one of one example of this, we have file storage in Less Wing Serum. We tell everyone you get ten gigs per user. Uh, we have no mechanism for checking this. In theory, someone could go in and upload a hundred or a thousand gigs. And every once in a while, I say this to people, and they're like, "Well, a thousand gigs would cost more than what they're paying you." And it's like, "Yeah, but that's one out of twenty thousand people. Like, it's fine if not everybody's profitable." It's like insurance. It's like you know, some people are going to go, you know, blow through their out of pocket maximum, and we're going to lose money on them. But part of how we've priced this is to account for, you know, the risk that we're taking and the ability to offer that option. Mm-hmm. To go big on file uploading to the sub the small percentage to everyone and only have a small percentage take it you know enhances the the product value yeah yeah I, I yeah I like that 
Thank you. Cool. Uh, what else is on, on your list today? I have a bunch of different topics. The, the first couple maybe are both related to marketing. So I have some ideas. Well, th- the first thing is an idea I wanted to run by you. You know okay. that I love the idea of content marketing, but I'm, I've always struggled to come up with ideas. I should say this isn't my idea. This is Eunice's, our, our marketing person's. But I want to run it by you and get pushback or see, see what you think about it. Our struggle has always been CRM is an incredibly boring topic. And like, we don't have any, we're not sales experts. We just don't have anything to say. What we realized is it's very difficult to figure out what CRMs cost, um, like pricing. Yeah. It's better than it used to be. It used to be you'd go to all, all these CRM companies' pricing pages and they'd be like, call us. And you really couldn't tell. Now they all have pricing, but it's still confusing. It's like there's different tiers and then there's per user stuff. And then there's like, well, what features do I need? So we're, we're toying with the idea of making a CRM pricing guide and just being like, if you're buying a CRM, just come to this one page, tell us how many users you're going to have, how many contacts you're going to have, and we're going to give you the price for every single CRM, basically. Listen, I, CRM is boring, partly because there's so many different options, but that's also a consumer challenge, right? Like mm-hmm. when I went through the CRM, CRM purchasing process, it was, I mean, I'm a single person business and it was a pain in the butt. If you can, if you if you really can deliver on, I'll you'll save me time and potentially money, um, and maybe increase the likelihood that I'm going to uh, make the right CRM decision. And you can deliver on that. That's a super valuable piece of content. Okay, so basic validation passed. Let's say we make it and we make it really good and we deliver on all that promise. What do you? I, I think you have more experience than I do, like getting content actually visible and like doing. Not on-site SEO. I don't know. You've done some off-site stuff like link building and stuff, I think. What would you do to to try and... like ra- Our normal strategy is like, we're going to write a different blog post every week and then move on. What if we wanted to really invest in this and be like, we're going to put six months into trying to make this the number one result? Well, I would first make sure that I'm competing on something that you that I believe I could win. So you know, the, what's the search for this? CRM pricing, CRM options, Um what are the best CRMs out there? So what do you start competing with? You start competing with people who are offering CRMs that have big ad budgets. Um, you've got people who are probably review sites, I guess, that are optimizing for that. Uh, what else? Well, so on the topic of review sites, the great thing is they can't say anything bad about anyone. Um, their their content is terrible because like the, the way they make money is these other companies pay them. Um, I actually looked... I, it's not... That competitive, or at least the, the number one result when I looked was something that looks very easy to have, like to do better than. And it's from another CRM company that's roughly our size. It's not from like Salesforce or HubSpot. Interesting. And was that like for CRM pricing? Yeah. Now, admittedly, we also did a little keyword research on this. CRM pricing doesn't get a huge amount of traffic, but each search is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably. If we were good at this, it's like not big enough of a keyword to go after, but I would just love to get something going, you know? It seems like it's something also that might help you convert uh, people in the funnel. Yeah. Well, a nice, this, this has a lot of that byproduct content we've talked about before, because what we would do is have one big CRM pricing page, but each one would link off to like, here's the pricing for this CRM. And then we'd also make a competitor page, like, here's this CRM versus less annoying CRM. So we'd get like, hundreds, maybe let's call it a hundred pieces of content out of the research we do for the one big piece. 
Yeah, and the the other the other thing that you might consider is I'm looking at I think it's Nutshell is that the competitor? Yeah, yeah. Um, I looked at I'm looking at the way they're approaching this, and they're clearly going let's just take one step at a time and build this out. And at the rather than start with the big package and release that, we'll start with little things and then add incrementally. Um, so their blog post, how much does it uh, CRM cost? If you if you kind of scroll through it, they have uh, basically a, a section on each, um, you know, starting with theirs. Uh, on their, on each of their, uh, uh, on each CRM. And they say like, how much does it cost? Um, and then they link, instead of linking to the the website, they link to a comparison page of like, so for how much does nutshell cost? Great. Start a free trial. How much does copper cost, which is a competitor. You click on that and it does a comparison nutshell versus copper. That's kind mm-hmm. of an interesting way to sort of build this out iteratively. Uh, and if it starts working, invest more versus kind of going big from the beginning. So I agree, except like I love the MVP start small approach. The problem is if what you make isn't better than what's out there, you don't actually learn anything from the the initial version. Like it won't, it, it, maybe it would, but it probably wouldn't succeed. Whereas maybe the, the better version would. Yeah, the, I guess that's the trick is how do you have a good MVP should tell you whether or not you could succeed. So how much could you cut out of it? Yeah. How, how much could you trim scope to re- and reduce risk, but also get the... The learning that you need. I'm just going to zoom out here. I think the whole idea of an MVP largely applies when you're doing something new, like with a business or something like that. You can't make an MVP of like email automation software. It's just not going to be as good as Infusionsoft and HubSpot and stuff like that. Similarly, I think with content that already exists, it's going to be tough. So yeah, okay, yeah, that's fair. But, I know their I mean, content's not that good. Like, I, I, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it's, so it's I, really it feels not. like the bar is lower than what maybe you're thinking it is. Yeah, that's true. But okay, um, so let's say we we got the number, or let's say we had content that we thought was yeah. Fly, I want to fly up for a second and just go. Okay. Uh, this is a good direction, I think, for your 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 boat. So, okay, so let's talk about marketing for a second. Recap. You've got Eunice, who is focused on sort of the bottom of the funnel marketing, and then you with less annoying business focus on the top of the funnel. This is squarely on bottom of the funnel. It's going, okay, people are searching for CRM. We get some traffic for CRM. We've got you know ads for CRM related stuff. How can we get more pe- people on the site searching CRM? And I feel like this is the right scope. Like it's it's de- it's it's a level down from CRM and it's, but it's still in that same bottom of the funnel area where I don't know, can you tee up some more swings like pricing? Like what are the other words like pricing comparisons mm-hmm. and just get as many of these shots, you know, taken over the next, like, I don't know, quarter yeah. and see what sticks. Yeah, we could try that. Um, I'll have to put some thought into that. The thing I love about this is like I said, the, the challenge we've had in the past is making it good. Like you can write about whatever CRM topic, but do I really have something novel to say? But here we can do better than the number one result here. And I think we can do a lot better. Okay. So I, I have no quite, I have no doubt that you'll do better. The, the, the real risk here is, can you get to the first page of Google? And, the right. question, and so that's your original question. So how would you go about doing that? Um, listen, in my experience, you write good content and you tell people about it. You like write a couple, you do some inbound linking and it's, you know, unique and which I think the CRM pricing thing is pretty unique. Like I'm, I looked at the results. I'm not scared of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like you could probably just do some basic stuff and get pretty high on the list. Okay, less than CRM clever. is super, super 
you know, trusted. Um, is this going on less annoying CRM.com? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I would, I would start with just some basics, like just SEO one-on-one, get the content out and see what happens. If you want to really supercharge it, um, I heard a really interesting uh, tactic. Um, I was listening to NPR, How I Built This. Have you heard of this show? Yeah. With Guy Raz or something like that. Yeah, I'm not um, a regular listener, but I know of yeah. it. It was, it was a decent podcast, So, uh, but I listened to it because uh, the founder of Policy Genius was on there. Her name is Jennifer Fitzgerald, and she was on there telling her basic life story and how she built Policy Genius, which is, the, which is a very large life insurance online uh, insurance agent. Um, so I thought I could have some things to learn. Content is how they they get all like ninety percent of their business. Um, the way that they built domain um, uh, valid, you know, do, domain expertise within Google's eyes was they actually went to uh, the writers for financials, financial stuff, um, like the bloggers. They found conferences that these people went to, and they went and just did like Salesforce like uh, you know camo tactics to get their attention. And then they, they, but they had great content and they got those people to link and write about their content. So that, that is, I think if you were, if you could figure out a way to find people who are writing, other people who are writing about this stuff, um, that you could develop relationships with so that you could sort of supercharge the inbound links. That is something that is interesting to me, um, as a tactic, a super tactic to try. Yeah, I like that. Because we do already have relationships with a few different websites because we're advertisers and not that Google can probably tell. I don't think you literally want to pay for like a backlink, but we have a relationship with them and we could be like, here's like, <laughs> here's this thing we wrote. Um, yeah. Okay. But go to conferences or what? I, I, yeah. Where are the people who are writing about CRMs going basically? And this turns into business development versus content marketing. <sighs> yeah. Um, which is, which is more in, um, uh, Alex's hands. This is what I hate about content marketing. I love the dream of it, but if you create something, then you just have to market the content and you're just back to square one where it's like <laughs> at the end of the day, I have to actually fucking talk to somebody, don't I? Yeah. And the more and more, like the, I've spent about what a year and a half now working on my own thing. I've been pretty quiet for the past year and a half building. And I'm just like, man, at the end of the day, relationships is what makes the world go around. What I'm going to do as soon as I get to the promotion stage is I'm going to focus on building relationships. And those those relationships are going to market the product. And at the end of the day, like that's what it's all about. So it's as simple as that. Build more relationships with people who can market your product. You're not wrong, but also no. I don't like building <laughs> relationships. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, uh, thanks for humoring me there. I've got another marketing one, but uh, I've been talking for a bit. You want to... Take one of your topics. I stay on marketing because I'm about to shift it to product. Okay. So I'm I'm really putting you on the spot here. I'm not expecting you to have any ideas, but I, I, we've probably talked about this before. Are you familiar with the idea of engineering as marketing? I mean, I assume it's programming. There are two things that come to mind. I probably should just let you tell me what it is. <laughs> sure. So it's not one of the two things I think you're going to say is like product-led growth. It's like work on our product, make it better. And that's a form of marketing. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about building, it's basically content marketing, but instead of content, it's like a tool. So for example, build like a Chrome extension or uh, like HubSpot did this pretty famously with a calculator that would like grade your website. Um, Actually, in a sense, that pricing page I was just talking about is engineering is marketing because we're going to put a widget at the top that like calculates stuff for you. Oh, Um, 
but I, I I love this idea of like build a little tool that be, it's it's similar to Freemance because it's free and it just solves a really distinct problem. It's much easier to get it in front of people than this like paid enterprise CRM bullshit. Uh, and then that's kind of lead gen for your for what you're doing. I want to do it, and I just can't figure out what to build. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's tough, right? Yeah, I, I'm not expecting you to have an answer. I'm mostly this but, is going to be one of these things where I ask you, and then one of our listeners is going to tell me the but answer. But isn't this doesn't this always go back to the scheduling app? Yes, but is it I big? would like to build something that is completely independent of Lesson Learning CRM and like a little more of a toy. Toy. Um, okay. Something smaller, something that's uh, lo- lower cost to build, lower cost to support, standalone. And no switching costs. The thing about building the appointment scheduling is you have to go out and like sell people on it. I would just mm. like to be like, oh, th- you know, this little Chrome extension didn't exist. Now it does exist. Go ahead and use it. That type of thing. The people who find these little niches or niches, I, I, I don't know how they do it, but I'm always impressed. And I'm like, man, I should have thought of that. Yeah. On my first million, they always talk about some just the dumbest idea ever. And they're like, oh, it's got 50 million daily users. And yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, if anyone has, and ideally, obviously it's CRM related or sales related. And again, this gets back to my problem that I don't, I'm not like a CRM person or a salesperson. So, okay. I feel like your customers are probably the source for ideas here. Um, I don't know exactly how to pull it out of them, but Mm. it's like where... So it comes back to like less annoying business. And the, the most compelling story you told me about less annoying business is when you were doing support um, and that person called in and you said, no, 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 let me just walk you through this. There's something like that, that those people are dealing with that is not being solved by current tooling, or maybe it's awareness problem. Hmm. There's something there. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like if you put yourself in a situation where you could learn more about some of the things that your your customers at Less Than Lang CRM are getting blocked by or not taking advantage of, you could have an opportunity. Okay, I like that. So my takeaway from that is like, wh- what am I looking for? What type of opportunity? And it sounds like it's a problem that's far enough outside the scope of Less Than Lang CRM that we're not currently solving it for people, but that pretty much all the Less Than Lang CRM customers, or a lot of them are probably experiencing. So like a low-tech, internet-related problem, but not CRM-specific. Yep. And if it's something, what's interesting is if it's something that exists already, but they're not going to find it because of the way your customer is, that's an opportunity for you to basically kind of copy and something that already exists, retool it Hmm. for your, um, for your team, for your customer. And then have, you basically could get a lot, get a lot of, uh, you basically are converting your existing CRM customers to a much more referable product. Yeah. That's I like that model a lot. In a sense, this is kind of what Apple does. Like Apple's never invented anything. They just make, you know, like for example, a smartphone. Microsoft had a very functional, much more functional than the iPhone smartphone before the iPhone. Apple just made one that like normal people could use. Um, mm-hmm. And then it spread like wildfire. So yeah, it doesn't have to be a new thing. It just has to be something that my current customers don't know about. Okay. That's an interesting, uh, those are some good constraints. I'll put some thought into that. Uh, all right, back to you. Well, I... I'm almost done with the West Boss beginner JavaScript course. And man, I was looking at it this weekend and I was like, oh, I'm going to finish this on Tuesday. And I, then I hit promises on Monday. And I am, I'm definitely going sl- like the slowest that I've ever gone in a course. And 
for those of you, I, I'm, so JavaScript is a is basically the primary coding language for the browser. So if you go to if you go to a website, most of the interactive things that are happening, not all of them, are happening through JavaScript. Um, and okay, so there's this thing in JavaScript called promises, and they basically are promises. You basically, I don't know how to explain it yet, but I'm hoping. Is there any sort of shortcut here, or do I just have to beat my head against this until I get it? I think you have to beat your head against it until you get it. I will say there's promises are a way to do asynchronous calls. And an asynchronous call is like you send off a request for something to happen. You don't want to like lock the browser for the whole time that that's happening. You want to wait for it. And then when it comes back, take some some new action. Um, there is what I believe to be an easier way to do this, like the old school way before promises were a thing. I got to admit, I'm, I still use that old way. I find it easier. but at the end of the day, you just have to wrap your head around asynchronous logic. Wow. And what you're talking about with, with not pr- without promises is basically nested callback functions. Yes, which yeah. I don't think is probably easier. It's just like what I learned. So to yes. me, it's easier. Yes, yeah. Looking at the two side by side, I definitely am attracted to promises because they're easier to sort of read and code. Um, and they're, they're more structured, it seems. Uh, but it's still like, th- th- man, the ca- callback functions are super... They're just not something that just are intuitive right away. It's definitely a different way of thinking. Yeah. This is why, like back in the day, the way web apps worked is you made a request to the server, it generates all your HTML and stuff, and it sends it back to the client, and you don't maintain state between those. The only state is in the database. So every new request, you completely rebuild the state from the database from scratch. And all of those languages, or most of them, are it's just one line after another. There's no asynchronous stuff. There's no callback functions. And it's so, so much easier to build web apps that way. And I kind of miss those days. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's it gets back to like the user interface um, expectations. Like you can't build a... People w- that would fumble around with an app that upload, reloads the page every time you take an action would think it was from the 90s. Yeah, I do think it depends though. No yeah. one would use a calendar that <laughs> where, you know, every time you add an event, it reloads the page. But... If we think back to Zane Benefits, the company we used to look at, like work at rather, that could absolutely still work that way because people submitting health insurance claims, do they really care that there's an extra half a millisecond or half a second of load time per page per action? I doubt it. That's interesting. Yeah. Basecamp kind of famously, by the way, is like trying, they, they have introduced a uh, framework that avoids any of that happening on the client. Like really, really fast calls to the server. Uh, fast enough that the user can't tell it's actually like it's waiting on the server. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, so yeah, I guess you, you're basically saying this is just part of the journey and you got to earn your stripes and it's, it's repetition and practice and just thinking about it. I think so. But I, I will say like the problems that promises solve are somewhat abstract. And if I were in your shoes, I realized we have different learning styles. I would just go start building stuff yep. and wait until you need a promise. And at that moment, you're going to be like, oh, right, this is what Promises is for, got it. Whereas when you're just like reading a textbook, I think it can be more confusing. Well, Wes, I mean, the West Boss course, I'm building stuff with him. So sure. I'm, I'm learning it and I'm just, it's it's definitely the concept. With the callback functions in general, I got them pretty quickly with arrays and I was like, okay, I got this. The Promises are definitely with like stack, like the comp Promises chains and error handling, That that's where it's sort of blowing up for me. Um, and then async await on top of that. Uh so I, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I feel better now just knowing that it, it's as hard as I think it is. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. Yep. 
Um, and then that kind of transitions me into, I, I will finish the West boss course this week, which, uh, will lead me into my projects. And my plan is to start, um, I'm going to first replicate the leg up health monthly update email inside of Airtable with a JavaScript uh, script that calls the send, send grid API directly from Airtable. Um, that's going to be project number one, project number two. I'm going to, you remember that leg up, you know how in Webflow, like with member stack, I had originally built it to u- leverage the Webflow, um, collections and mm-hmm. then sort of each user has their own set of collections and there's some you know not ideal sort of storage issues with that um, and access issues so what um, member stack provides is a json member object is what they call it and basically you can plug any data that you want to have access to specific to that member that is requires authentication and so basically what i'm going to do is i'm going to shift to a single page dashboard that is custom to each user you don't see anything unless you're authenticated. And then um, the page builds based on which user is authenticated. So every, there's no, not a unique dashboard per person, but one dashboard that gets populated based on custom JavaScript, mm-hmm. uh, pulling in that member j- object. So that'll be my second project. And then then I should I should be able to get that done the next couple weeks, next week. Um, and then I'm going to, uh, I want to fit, if I have any time, I want to fiddle with, Every time I, I get a new policy and every month I verify that policy via an API, that verification process is manual right now. Um, I'd like to fill around with if I can do that verification within Airtable, similar to the SendGrid API to the, that third-party API. Yeah. Uh, and then then I'm, I feel like I'm ready to like make a confident decision about like benefits. Cool. I like it. Uh, number two feels like the one that could like turn into a bigger thing if you wanted it to. Um, Cause have you, have you used any templating languages like react or view or anything like that? There's kind of like, you're going to use JavaScript to fetch data from member stack. And then you're going to want to turn that into HTML on the page. You can do that very manually where you're like literally writing job, like HTML in the JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do that. That gets really messy and bad really quickly. And so there are all these, libraries that sort of do the work for you where you write like pseudo HTML and then just kind of say, okay, put, put the name of the policy here, put the price of the policy here, put your deductible here. Um, that's a potential if you wanted to level up a little bit, cause I bet you'll need that for leg up benefits. Okay. Interesting. I'll look into that. Cool. Thank you. But yeah, let yeah. me know if you want to bounce any of those ideas around. <laughs> I've made a lot of progress on the coding front. I'm definitely much more capable. I feel I feel one of my earliest uh, fears around no code was how far will this take me? And with no code sort of moving into low code and then being able to extend those, the low code stuff with JavaScript capabilities, I feel pretty not limitless, but this business is not going to be limited by my coding ability anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. This is, this is huge. And also like if I were a no coder, I'd be kind of terrified because like, I mean, the power you that you have relative to what you would have had if you just stopped at what no code can do. Like, there's always going to be someone willing to do what you're doing in every industry. And this is the fear I have with people who are building an entire business on no code. Yep. I think, though, like, I'll be very surprised if people who have a real business in no code either aren't willing to hire people who can do the JavaScripting or, you know, figure it out themselves. Because... 
it's, I can tell you, it is so much easier, both from a motivation standpoint and a ability standpoint to sort of build off my base, um, on a real business. So yeah. I, I, I'd be, it'd be interesting to see how many no coders become low coders, become coders. Yeah, that's true. I still kind of feel like th- the sweet spot for no code is internal tooling, mm. but we'll see. Yeah. Time will tell. Yep. Uh, one last thing on related to no code. Have you seen the new Stripe payment links? Yes, I have. But why don't you summarize it for us? Um, basically, when this is how I understand it. Basically, and when you're when you're building in a no code app, it's very difficult to build kind of integrate custom billing for each customer in the app because you Stripe basically is an API that you have to be able to work with, and it was hard to do basically custom in the app in your app billing via no code for each customer you'd have to basically do do it outside of um, your app and in the stripe uh, sort of interface and I think they call that checkout maybe um, I, I don't remember the exact term that they use for that product but they basically came up with this thing where you can trigger a custom link and then with no code you could link to that link within your app or you could send that link via email to the client and it, it feels very integrated now with your, um, with your service. And so from a no code standpoint with like, like a benefits, I'm thinking about building the onboarding flow. This makes my life a lot easier from being able to get a new customer, um, into Stripe and then build them. Yeah. Although I get the impression it might be too limited for what you're going to need for, you're talking about for like a benefits, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I could be wrong. I don't get the impression this is for something where it's going to be like per user pricing, which I think you're planning on doing. Because the reason it's been hard in the past is you need to send a bunch of information about how the billing should work. Like when's their start date? Does it recur monthly or annually? How many users is it? All that stuff. And you have to get that data to them somehow. I get the impression this is for much simpler use cases where it's like, I'm selling a book. The book always costs $15. Anyone can click this link and just buy the book. Oh, interesting. Really? I could That's, be wrong about that. Man, I'm, I was hoping that the, what I, the, the thing, I'm not scared of the logic for billing and figuring that out and getting it to Stripe via no code. It's the, okay, now that that's in there, how do I get the, the client, how do I present a billing interface to collect their payment, allow them to update their payment? Um, and that, that's I actually what think- this, I think their old product will work for you. Oh, the one you they already okay. had. All right, so cool. I think your problem will be solved, but it just won't be, be solved way. with this new one. Because the thing I'm unclear about with this new one is how do you actually deliver on... Like, okay, so someone pays you and you have their money. You still have to manually like take an action then and say, like, if it is a book, you have to mail them a book. Hmm. So I think it's... I'm not sure what the ideal use cases for this are, but I think it's for people who aren't really trying to fully automate stuff. But it's more like, my business is people DM me on Instagram and I want them to pay me there. I think it's like, here's a link that you can click on an Instagram. That's here's the impression. A, here's a super way to get people to pay you for a transaction. Yeah. But yeah. I do okay. think well, Stripe I, has what you want though. So you Okay, should. that's good. I, I thought this was bigger than it was. Oh, well. I, I could also be wrong. Um, well, that is all I have. Cool. Uh, so maybe the last thing we'll do today, uh, we got a audio clip from a, a listener and... As we said at the beginning, we'd love if uh, if anyone has either questions or comments or anything like that. It's nice conversation starters when people send in audio. Just go to zipmessage.com slash Tyler, uh, and you can send one in. But this is in response to what we talked about 
think last week or maybe two weeks ago about your topic of customer service, having a $100,000 a year earning customer service person. Um, So I'll play the audio and then we can talk about it. Hey, Tyler and Rick. This is Steve, uh, reader and periodic correspondent with you guys. I thought the episode this week was pretty good on the discussion about um, customer service reps. Uh, I think actually what Tyler is doing with uh, his uh, CRM coaches who are kind of more business coaches uh, than just CRM support staff is actually a great way to justify 100K support staff. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. So I th- this made me think of something that I wish I had said in the episode. I don't. Should I just dive right into Go it? Go for it. So I think we had a little disconnect or if we both moved on in the interest of not spending too long on it, but I think we would have disagreed on something. You kind of kept saying like the, the support rep is capped at like how many times they can execute the process basically. And that didn't feel right to me because I was, I just was just thinking of like lawyers and people like that and consultants where like, yes, they're capped, but it's like 500,000 or a million dollars a year. Like they can make a lot of money. And there, there, there's a distinguish. there was a distinction between value contributed and Earnings and I, yeah. I left. I want to be clear that I left with they're capped on the value they can deliver, yeah. not uh, the earnings. And I think you're you're going to disagree with that. No, I I think I agree, but I hadn't pieced together why it felt wrong. And the okay. reason is, so your when you hire customer service people, they won't be able to provide the value that a lawyer or consultant can because your customers are not making money off of what you're selling them. Um. Like I've talked before about, lots of people have talked before about, there's like, what is co- what is the core differentiator of your business or whatever? And I've kind of said for myself, I, I don't have any incentive to get really good at accounting. I could be better at accounting. It wouldn't move the needle for the business at all. I kind of think health insurance is that way. Like, obviously, if there's a huge, you only know about it when there's a huge disaster. And most people never know, did they buy the right health insurance or not? So I just, I think... Uh, the reason I say this is Steve used the term business coach. He said, what Less Annoying Serum is doing, we have business coaches. They can help our customers make an unlimited amount of money, and therefore the, the value they create isn't capped. I'm not sure that's true. That's in your interesting. Case. Okay. So there are, there, yeah. So that's where you get into consulting and more general consulting, where it's like if you're in the business of consulting to help people make money, yeah, I mean, your advice could make them potentially a lot of money. Yeah. And you don't, you can't say what that is because advice is relative. That's really interesting. Yeah. So in a sense, you're, you could save a whole lot of money, but I think it's too hard to like, you only save a lot of money if someone, you know, gets cancer and they wouldn't have been covered or something like that. But this is why being in the business of helping people make money is better than being the business of people saving money because saving money is capped. Making money is fairly, I mean, there are diminishing returns at some point, but like there are breakthroughs. Yeah, exactly. So I had I had thought of I'd used the term like business coach internally before, but I hadn't quite thought about that much. That like, how can we help our customers make money? I like that, uh, and I, the, in fact, getting more focus on that job could unlock something for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe that. Do you think that has something to do with the the app that you're talking about sooner earlier? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, uh, put you know, put your business information in here, and we'll pull out some recommendations or yeah, something along those lines. Yes, yeah, so something. I mean, just. Maybe your business coaches are your sources of like, how can we help our customers be more successful? Yeah. Of ideas. Some thought of that. Yeah, and it's a very different thing than looking at like where are they having problems, but like where are the opportunities? 
I was kind of coming at it earlier of, oh, where where are these people having problems in their workflow? More of a productivity problem. Mm-hmm. It's much more interesting to. I think HubSpot you typically comes at it from less of a, a productivity problem and more of a like if you think about their streak. I think was their their big tool back in the day was their sales tool. Was how can we make sales reps more effective? Which in effect makes the company more money, sees opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had a, you, you kind of, a lot of people break businesses down by, you know, you, if, if you want to be, you want to be in the business of either helping people uh, make money or helping people be more productive. There's like productivity, making money and then saving money. Is there another category of business or that, are those most of the value, like are those are the three value propositions you see the most? I've, I've seen a different one. Those don't really include like consumers. Uh, so I've seen like, th- this isn't meant to be taken literally, but like you can make money, save money or have more sex is like <laughs> one of these I've seen or like, uh, you know, if you buy get- sunglasses, it's so you can get laid basically. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think in the business space, that's probably about right. Okay. And would you say that saving money is capped, uh, which is why it's not as good as making, helping people make money. Where does product- like productivity fall? Like, is there unlimited potential there? Yeah, I, I guess it depends what the productivity does. If it's yeah. if it's just saving you time, it's it's just a multiple. It's a multiplier, but it's not a it's a capped multiplier. Well, it's making me really like your business because you save people money on the price. You save people time potentially because you're simpler, and uh, you know you're helping people make money. It's like hitting all three buckets. And I'm realizing leg of health is, you know, it's it's really about saving people money. Yeah. The good news is everyone in America has to buy this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the you've just market. got a different yeah. market. Yeah. And it's and potentially simpler and you know less less attractive and has a less attractive business that's complicated has it, you know, its own advantages. But it's uh it, yeah, it makes me like your business a lot. What does this do for you? D- does this impact your thought on like the role of a customer service rep at your business at all? No, it just makes me realize that uh f- if I'm going to be in the business of saving people money, um the the, the eff- effectiveness of a rep is the most critical component. Like productivity per rep um, mm-hmm. is going to be the like if I want to pay people to, to be able to pay people, I have to be able to increase that a lot. Yeah, it's like at a uh, you know when Toyota is making cars, they're not they're not looking for the person who can make a better Camry. Like all, every Camry is the same. They're looking at the person who can make more Camrys. Mm-hmm. And then have quality control to make sure it's always good. Yes. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I've got another topic, but I think we should probably save it for next time. So I'm all good today. You? I am all good. Uh, if you like, I just, I'll sign us off. If you like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuplast.com. Um, I'll see you next week, Tyler. See ya.